If the drive home to my family is not enough for me to actually shake things off and sit at the dinner table and look after my family, I can't do the work I did that day. And I have to find something else where I can be purposeful and do something and make a change. So I sadly left that. I also couldn't do what the wonderful baby bear people are doing with abused children. So I think we all know where our limits are and what we can cope with. And thank God we are all structured differently. And uh, I would hope that all these people who do that very challenging work can shake it off by the time they get home. Welcome to The Enrichment Project, Path to Purpose, recorded by the mad talent at Solid Gold Podcasts. It is a series of unfiltered and insightful conversations with some of the most remarkable purpose-driven human beings who have all achieved, created, inspired, triumphed or challenged. And we have a great deal to learn from them. It is a quest to uncover and articulate the steps along the way to help you on your own journey of purpose. I am your host, Richard Wright, and I am delighted to have you with me Thank you for the gift of your time. Let's dive straight in. I'm delighted to have with me today as a guest on the Enrichment Project, Path to Purpose, a phenomenal human being, and you're going to find out why she is such a phenomenal human being in a second. But before I even get into an intro, just to get you online and into the chat, Yulika uh, Falconer, CEO of Zero to Five, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Richard. Thank you very much for having me. I'm delighted. So out of all the people I've had the distinct privilege to host on the show, you are the very first one who's been wearing a gaming headset. <laughs> are you a gamer? Not at all. <laughs> but I have two teenage children and the one is very, very passionate about his gaming. So um, I borrowed his because one of your <laughs> tips on the brief was headphones are a must and I don't have any. Oh, those, are, those, those are amazing and they make you look super rad. So thank, thank you, for, you for going the extra mile. <laughs> and for those of you listening or watching, please know as always with the show that you can either get the show on the YouTube link or you can get it on podcast and download it to your favorite app, whichever suits you. So let's just dive straight back in. In, in fact, I'm not even going to, I'm not going to read much of this bio because I think we're going to get to this point in the chat before we go any further. What is the very first memory that you have of what you wanted to become when you became an adult? You know, that, that, that lovely question we get asked when we were little, what do you want to become? No, oh, there was never a ballerina or a horse rider or something like that. I was always trying to fight for others. So I was always uh, in our street gangs, the one that was trying to make sure everybody was included and everybody was looked after and oh. nobody got beaten up who wasn't the strongest in the group. So um, I think uh, I always wanted to do something in law. I wouldn't, I wouldn't call it an attorney. We were far too little to think that way and we don't have one in the family. Uh, but I always um, wanted to make things right, I think. Make things right. I dig that. Make things right. <laughs> okay, fabulous. Thank you. So tell me, the journey that brought you to where you are now, where did that start? It started with finishing my legal education in Germany, where I was born and raised. And my first 30 years took place in Germany, in the very northern part. 
And I did my full legal education there and I practiced three years. And I was a single mother of a three-year-old in 1999. Wow. And my life was slightly stagnant. I didn't see myself developing much where I was. I was back in my hometown. Um, I needed my parents to help me with my child. It wasn't really very sophisticated what I was doing at that stage. And I was a bit insecure about where, where this was going. So I tried to um, make a plan for a big, massive leap. And wow. that was, um, I wanted to go to Denmark, Copenhagen, which is one of my favorite cities. And I applied for law firms there and they all said you must specialize in maritime law. Okay. And uh, I uh, looked into maritime law and up came UCT. And a professor, John Hare, who was a leading professor in maritime law of what I needed. And I looked into Cape Town and I looked into South Africa and I thought, this is what I want to do. I'm going to take my child and we're going to go to South Africa and we're going to do this, this master degree and we're going to go back and practice maritime law in Copenhagen and things will change and it'll be your whole new life. <laughs> that is how I got to South Africa. <laughs> Can I just stop you there for a second? <laughs> So I'm feeling a little insecure about where this is going and where I am. So, so let me just go to Cape Town uh, as a single mom with a son. I mean, that is massive. That's huge. Uh, yeah, um, my parents thought so too. <laughs> but uh, look, they always, that's how we grew up. I have two sisters and they yeah. always encouraged everything we put our minds to. And uh, I did. I packed up. I did a wonderful, look, 1999, I did a great millennium New Year's in Cape Town. Oh, wow. It was a time where things were really upbeat here. People were super positive. People didn't really have that idea yet that new honeymoon after the end of apartheid wasn't really yeah. lasting that long. So is, is it not so positive right now? Is that, is that what you're saying? <laughs> Are things not so great? Mm. <laughs> uh, not like then, if you would compare <laughs> with 99. Yeah. Mm. And I, um, look, uh, it was wonderful. It was really, really super. I started at UCT. I mean, what a university. And um, I did that master degree in maritime law um, with a whole bunch of South African advocates and attorneys who had already practiced as well. And also called it 50-50. The other half were um, European and American students. Oh, wow. Okay. Very interesting. Sure. And just, just to rewind slightly, the law that you specialized in back in Germany... None. So, None. So, as you, so, if you start as an attorney in Germany, you, you are kind of doing traffic accidents, uh, okay. any, everything nobody else wants to do. You just you grind your teeth on, on normal work. Okay. So it was three years of doing that? Yes. Okay, fantastic. And how many of those cases had this social justice person involved? I just want to make it right. How, how did that fit into that? Oh, I had a few, and the one um, was a, a very remarkable one. It was around maintenance and somebody who didn't receive their maintenance and how their Christmas went. And to cut it short, my, my big boss got a phone call saying, you've got a young attorney there. Don't think she's born for your social cases because she was sitting in court crying. Oh, um, so uh, it was still there. And uh, look, I just needed to um, make it professional. So she is born for your social cases or she is not born for you. I didn't quite get that. Yeah, she, she needs to um, toughen up a bit. So um, <laughs> might be the right person, but um, too emotional around it. Okay. So, yeah, but look, um, at the, um, my, my big boss didn't mind. Um, I got a little pat on the shoulder and he said, look, these things are hard sometimes, but, yeah. you know, uh, it's part of it. And uh, it's good that you show emotions. Nothing wrong with it. Just... Um, we need to channel that a little differently. Yes. You've made it this far, probably because the topic resonated with you. 
If you're wondering what the show is all about, listen to the trailer at the start of the season and find out how this show is going to help you along your own path to purpose. You've stumbled on a project that is all about purpose. Find out why the guests are all so vastly different, but yet all have so much in common. Hop on board this journey with me, follow the Enrichment Project so that you don't miss out on a single episode and share it with, well, everyone. We are all looking for more meaning in our lives. If the show speaks to your identity or the identity of your brand, consider sponsoring a season. Let's make the circle bigger. Back to the episode and thanks for listening. So just, I really want to stay here for a second because this is very important (laughs) for me. So did you, the emotion, was that because you got emotionally involved in the situation what was that about the emotion that you were feeling at that time? Um, look, I can, look. Obviously, German uh, social system. Uh, we have a very good social net, and the problems there. If I look at what bothers me now, uh, were so minor and so minute. I mean, I can't even. I can't even can't tell compare. you. But still, what was frustrating for me was that the people on the street sometimes needed law firms and systems and slow running systems to actually see justice done. And that was frustrating for me, that it would then be delayed and they would then still wait for their maintenance and they wouldn't know where the next meal was coming from. And things like that always frustrated me. They needed so much support from outside, and and this is from a well-functioning system. So little did I know how misfunctioning other systems were. I was just about to say, yeah. if you were frustrated then, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay, thank you. That helps me a little bit. Some nice context. All right. So now we, you, you the masters in maritime law. Um. Yeah. And uh, where to from there? Yeah, Cape Town, what a city. So now I'm in Cape Town. I'm trying to connect to this place, but I realize I'm always invited to these functions where people introduce me to Germans. I just left Germany. I wasn't really in Cape Town to meet all these Germans. So uh, I realized <laughs> I realized I, mean, I need a hobby for a reason. to find <laughs> my South African friends. So I started skydiving, very, very nice. I went up yeah. to um, Unforgotten Time, Citrus Dull Skydiving Club, oh. and I had a beautiful time connecting to lots of locals skydiving. Wonderful hobby to start in a beautiful country. Oh. Um, yeah. So I, I connected and I really loved my time there. Um, studying was wonderful, tough because I was pretty much the only mother there, let alone be single mother. So okay. um, to I had a very different routine to others. But uh, UCT, great, very supportive. I had a little university pre-primary school in Mowbray. So I went there every morning, took my child there. And it's a great time to do things like that. You know, you're out completely out of your comfort zone. You try things. You don't know where you're going, what's going on. And uh, for my education, it was great. I laugh about it every time somebody sends their child to Stellenbosch. We were in Stellenbosch. We had to do a course in Afrikaans, trade law. I didn't understand a single word. So we would always go there on a Tuesday sit through that class, go to some new wine estate, always a different one, have a wonderful wine tasting and go back. That was our routine on a Tuesday. Unforgotten times, really, really nice. But I didn't want to leave. So now we started an immigration process because I love this country. And I already saw when that that master was coming to an end. So I did another degree in international environmental law because it was very, very interesting, also a good course there. And then I started um, translating German-English got sworn into the Cape Town High Court, did some translation work um, as an attorney. I think that leads to part of the, uh, what, what's just sitting in my head now is how, how are you paying for all of this? <laughs> how are you managing to stay afloat financially? 
so the education at uh, UCT was all part of a, a little inheritance we did. Oh, wow. um, we were allowed to spend as three girls from my okay. grandfather to our own preference, whatever we wanted to, to spend it on. do with it. And I think it was a wonderful thing to do. And then I started translation work. And um, I also have to say, I have wonderful parents and siblings, sisters in the background who would always support if there's a problem. So um, my parents love that we travel. My parents always love that we are adventurous. They, by the way, took us travel all our childhood. All over. I can't even recall wow. a single school holidays where we didn't go on an adventurous trip. The slower, the better. So it is such a gift. Horse trips, walks, some a lot of road trips, a little bit of aeroplane, but lots of slow wow. trips. So they left that I was there and they supported. But I also then started my translation work at uh, High Court and then also basic police clearance. There's always work in Cape Town with German okay. translations. Um, so that was an uh, interesting time. And then I started um, having a problem with uh, uh, my visa. So now my, my study permit was finished because now I had my master. I had my, my head was on. My thing was done. UCT was finished. And now my son was on a study for oh, grade wow. one. And I was on what you call an accompanying visa for okay. the parent. And that was expiring. Now I was desperate. Yeah, yeah. I didn't want to leave this country. So I was invited to a party in Camps Bay where somebody said he knows somebody who knows somebody who is the attorney of the current Home Affairs Minister. And I have to go to this party. I said, fine, I went to this party. I was driving an old orange Merc. I'm telling this story because it becomes part yeah. of my life story, this story. <laughs> And I pull out outside this fancy villa in Camps Bay and I see people walk in and I see I'm horribly underdressed and I get very insecure about this whole idea. So I'm now thinking, do I really have to go in there and do this? And this is just not, you know, 20 minutes in the car, I walk in. <laughs> 20 minutes in the car. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You can breathe, 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 breathe. Yeah. And of course, I looked up how our, the current Home Affairs Minister looked. So I did know. Okay, how you did your research. Yeah. looked. Absolutely. I also knew how the director looked. I knew how everybody looked. I knew who to look for. Not the attorney, but everybody else. And there was a buffet. Everybody was getting meals. And I was sharing a chair with a very kind, wonderful man. Sharing a chair. Yes. And I am today 15 years married to this wonderful <laughs> gentleman. And he turned out to be, to be the attorney oh, of wow. our then home yeah. affairs minister. So... Our then Home Affairs Minister married us um, a wow. year later, by the way. And I never needed them actually to help me with the visa because um, blow me down. Are you married? It, no, it was no, it was in my post three days later. Okay. So uh, it was a very very special time in my life. Oh, wow. um, this is all now 2004, and uh, about four months later, we had a very short conversation about where we would live because. Butelezi's attorney is from Durban, <laughs> not from Cape Town. Very late into the party, that came that up. That came out, yeah. <laughs> and uh, that conversation, I think, was two minutes. And I moved uh, to Durban wow. at the end of 2004. Sure. And since then, I'm in Durban. In Durban itself. Yes. 15 years in Durban. Two beautiful children with Patrick, Sophie, who was born in 2005, and Stuart, who was born two years later. And um, never looking back, still in and out of Cape Town if I can, and uh, we love it there. But very, very happy how things develop wow. from that evening. It's amazing. Hey? 
life-changing events yes. that you sometimes have. Yeah. I always wonder if part of that is being open and, and looking for solutions and looking for ways to get to where you want to go. And, and that's exactly what your instance is, is you had a very distinct and definite idea of why you wanted to be there and who you needed to meet to be there and putting yourself into that situation. And I think a lot of purpose journeys are that. This, what is important to you? What gives you joy? What makes you feel happy? And for you, it is um, staying in South Africa. That's what I feel happy here. There's joy. There's meaning. Yes. And I want to be here. So, you know, it's even that was just incredibly important at that moment in time in your life. And that's what came of it. So I'm a firm believer in that. I'm one of those people who I haven't studied um, and I've done some remarkable, amazing things. And people look at how on earth did you get there? Or how did you, how did that opportunity come about? And it was the same thing as you. It's just this idea of what I want and what I enjoy and I'm passionate about. And I'm just going to go. I'm, and I believe it's going to work out. Why wouldn't it? I think we're not, not everybody is like us. And part of the challenge is helping other people to, you know, to discover their own stuff. And this is a very valuable conversation from that point of view. It is, it is literally putting yourself out there, knowing what it is that you want and not holding back, going for that. Okay. And, and next. Well, I had started charitable work in Cape Town with a wonderful gentleman called Paddy Upton, who is known oh, wow. mainly for cricket coaching, yeah. but he's also a great mental coach and life skills coach and great guy all in all. And I volunteered a little bit. He was busy at the time with street children, um, NPO called Street Universe. And I volunteered a little bit and I just saw how he was using his immense professional skills for these very hardened street children. And uh, I looked at this. It was very interesting. I was super naive. I had my cell phone stolen three times in a row. I had no idea what I was getting into. Uh, but great learning for me. And when I then moved very abruptly to Durban, I wanted to also get involved, see where the need is. And I started doing some research and the early childhood development sector came up. Came up very urgent. And, you know, I found out that KZN, one of the provinces uh, in the country with the most amount of children, the most amount of rural children, the most amount of children under the age of five, oh. and the most amount of needy children, closely followed on par with the Eastern Cape and then comes yeah. in purpose. So those three are always on the radar for big need. Okay. And I started looking after some ECD centers and got lots of trial and error there as well. Sorry, ECD, Early Childhood Development. Yeah. Okay. Peanut butter sandwiches, wow. food gardens, didn't know the Zulu goats and cows go and eat all my veggies. So I then started fencing and food gardens. They, then that also didn't go anywhere. So then I started instant meals. Then I had a big breakthrough with a huge sponsorship from uh, Future Life, who mm. started that year in 2008. And that was a 12 year, very, very wonderful partnership. I was there from when they started. And that whole development as a huge brand, I was basically on their side as a small NPO growing, 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 growing. And uh, I was feeding thousands of children with, with future life. Um, their wonderful product. Yeah. Wow. And I think if I can stop you there for a second, I think that's the part that as always I've struggled with is that healthy, good food for young kids is very often an expensive alternative. It's not the, it's not a staple. And, and so to, to have access to a product like that is truly remarkable. That's amazing. It is. And, and it's quite sad that there's not much education around good food, mm. nutrients, what do small children need? 
because also there, there's a lot of wrong products bought with the money these ECD practitioners have. Oh. And, uh, you know, over the years, especially in the last 10 years, we developed a whole program around it where um, we do a nutrition program, we do a lot of training, and unrelated to this pandemic, we developed a big wash program, food hygiene and a, and a hand wash program, because we realized as a couple of children we can't help that are still not growing and developing and not meeting their milestones, despite us feeding them. A lot of these things are around no deworming taking place. Wow. Um, you know, a lot of these uh, places that we support are in rural areas, and they have a mobile clinic that is meant to come every six months. If it's not coming, months. children are sometimes not dewormed for two years, you know. Oh. So we, we realized uh, what is needed and we developed the program around the nutrition. And then came a play program because I have a German lovely NPO partner who wants to do playgrounds. And then came Lego came on board. So we do a huge Lego program, which I really enjoy because all my three children grew up with Lego. Yes. Little did I know actually as a German mother, and I grew up an hour away from the Lego factory in Billund. Oh, wow. How much you can do with Lego bricks. They are so incredibly versatile. So my team of staff is trained from a wonderful NPO in, in Joburg called Care for Education. And they, they train them how to use Lego bricks for colors, for numbers, for sensory, for everything. That's clever. So if you are out in a rural crèche and you have absolutely zero resources, you receive a box of Lego, you can teach small there children everything. But wow. it is so amazing. So that's a great project that, we, that I really enjoy. And there's so many, it's tactile and there's um, motor skills and Everything. all sorts of things that go along with that. They're really amazing. It's amazing. I, sorry, by the way, I'm, I'm an adult and I still play with Lego. Yes, <laughs> yes. Is... And you step on those in the night. <laughs> six, exactly. <laughs> on the six bricks on the night, you step on it with a bare foot, you know exactly how solid they are and they, they will last exactly. forever. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's brilliant. Okay. So that's to feed, yeah. to play. Yeah. And then, uh, then I also looked at all these women and I realized, and that is, that is once again, we're a little bit of advocacy and we're a little bit of wanting to help them develop and start a little business comes in because, and so we have a literacy program and we realized when we were implementing our literacy program that a lot of the ladies are not literate themselves. This is a quieter, so you have to amend your literacy program so that somebody who is not able to read can implement it for small children. Just quite a oh. thing. There's some, there's some big challenges we, yes. we're talking about yeah, here. Yeah. So um, we looked at these centers. Many, many of them are unregistered, and it's a very, very informal sector, this ECD sector, and lots of work can be done. That is where I love a challenge. Uh, that is also why I love this country. There is so much here where you just astounded that it hasn't been looked at, developed, and, and just structured yet. So there's an opportunity everywhere. Yeah, it's, it's incredible. It's incredible. But but I think but I think most people I don't th I think that you are also quite unique in this, in that I think most people tend to look at the obstacles and because all they see is the obstacle they they don't get any further. Whereas I think you've got a very and tell me if I'm wrong here you've got a very very definite sense of where you want to go um, and what you want to do and because you're so focused on that you find the opportunities rather than the obstacles. W would you agree with that? Yes, but that's also because I don't mind working on the ground. So if you tell me that right. these ladies they are not registered because it's just too much, you know, they can't read and they and they're that and then they need uh, to fill in all these forms for the Department of Social Development. And, and then they need to get there and they never have taxi money and then they get there and then the right person isn't there and then they have to go back and get frustrated. There's a million reasons why 
you shouldn't touch that area. A million. Huge frustrations on the way. Yeah. But it's an area where you can achieve so much with actually fairly little. You know, that so we started sense. that we, we, we looked at it and there's a partner organization that have developed something so simple, actually. They took this entire application pack from the Department of Social Development and translated it into Zulu and developed it in a way that a lady on the ground can understand it. I mean, it sounds really simple, but yeah. it helped hundreds of ladies start a little <sighs> business. You know, so uh, yeah. we partnered with them, wonderful organization in Pande in Ugu, um, in our very, very poor Ugu district uh, on the south of Natal, bordering the Eastern Cape. And uh, it is just incredible how it helps. So when a Cindy Nobu on the ground thought that for her registration as a partial care facility, for example, she needed a building plan for her crash, she would just throw the whole, that was it for her, because she knew she couldn't do it. You know, not going to do it. Actually, they need a pencil and a piece of paper, and they just need to take a book. They don't even need a ruler, and they just mark where's my door, where are my windows. Yeah, that's all it. the basic concept. That's all. That's all they need. But they need to know that's all they need. There's nobody there yes. to tell them. You know, it's very oh. simple things like that. So that is our third pillar. It's our third program: ECD registration. Then they register as partial care facilities. Then they can apply for subsidies, pay their teachers, and this is not small money. Then they can receive an 850 subsidy for food per child per day. Compare uh -huh. that with our high schools, for example, National School Nutrition yeah. Program is double. Mm. Um, so a small child gets double than a high school child. Okay. That is really, really interesting, good money. Yeah. So, and also, once they receive their certificate, once they are on the radar and on the list, they are on the system for the National Treasury and they must be budgeted for. So there's endless discussions around, I don't know if you picked it up, of all of us in the sector have an ear for it, around that ECD sector now in this 2020. Yeah. Very tricky year for everybody, but especially for these ladies, has mm. just been completely ignored because these ladies who are not registered, yeah. never received funding or are on the wait list for funding, which is endless as a center, yeah. are completely left out. Forgotten about almost. Any COVID relief fund has ignored them. So... This ECD registration program is our third pillar. It is helping the ladies understand they can run it like a little business. This is mm. what they can spend the school fees on. This is what they need. This is good food products. We also have a like a basic food basket where we do costing for them. We figure out where's the next shop. Where can they buy what? How many taxi trips would it take? So, you know, really that they have a plan in place. We work yeah. with the DSD menu so they know what they should buy. So I also enjoy that part. Just for some context here, so eight yeah. rand fifty per child per day. For those of yeah. you listening elsewhere, in US dollars terms, it's fifty cents per day <laughs> per child. It is, <laughs> but yet, but yet, healthy, nutritious meals provided every yeah. day. Yeah. It's quite something that. And again, this necessity is the mother of all invention, right? So when yeah, you yeah. don't have any other options, you you make it work. Yes, absolutely. I think I read somewhere on your site you you on around about 10 million meals that have been provided since you started or something like that. Uh, with 2020 and an absolutely insane feeding frenzy this year that yeah. I'm still recovering from. I don't even know what hit me this year. Yeah. I think we must have done 3 million meals this year. Just it was this crazy. Year. Yeah, wow. we, we had a big soup kitchen going at a restaurant here on the campus where I have my office, Bellevue Cafe. Um, so 
alone from that soup kitchen, we had 6,500 five liter chicken stew buckets. <laughs> so we mixed up a lot of 6,500 five liter buckets. Yes. Was a super Ooh. project. No, no wonder you're struggling. <laughs> it was at a time when nobody had gas and electricity for cooking anymore. Oh, so wow. you know, it just was so super to also have some cooked meals. I really enjoyed yeah. that part as well. That was, that was uh, May June. So yeah, we do a lot of fortified porridge. Um, there's um, really good products out, and they work best in these crashes. You can mix them with clean water, 50 okay. gram for a child goes a long way. And then we also have a super partner with Rise Against Hunger for a fortified lunch. And now we are doing food gardens because the big wake up in that lockdown was there is hardly any food in these communities, which is an absolute sin, okay. especially mm. in Natal where you can grow something in your backyard. Just overnight. And I mean, Literally. it just grows like mad. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. You know, so that is, we, we, we are busy with two pilots at the moment. The one is a community care project and the other one is in, in the backyard of a crash. Uh, and big workshops. So now I'm back to <laughs> ten years later. I'm back to the <laughs> back gardens. To the gardens. <laughs> I failed miserably keep, ten years and ago. Keeping the goats away from exactly. the vegetables. Now we cage them in fully, even with a roof for the monkeys. Oh wow! And we spend a little bit of more money on them now, and we but also do a lot it. of workshops with them now. So we do okay. compost workshops, recycling workshops, water workshops, seed saving workshops. Lots oh. of learning. They're very interesting. But again, it's, a, it's a, that age-old concept of give a person a fish or teach them to fish. Um, and yes. it's, it's exactly that's all education, isn't it? Uh, yes. And, and teaching people to be self-sufficient. Absolutely. Wow. Yeah. Sure. So, so before we go any further, I, I'm, I'm dying to get some details from you so we can – all the listeners and the, and, and the watchers can, can get onto their browser and start donating – where on earth can people find you to get involved? What do you need and how can people help you? So on uh, our website is um, 025, zero as a word, two as a number, and five as a word, .org.za. And we are on Facebook as ECD Agents. And, uh, but you also find us if you put zero to five in the search zero to five. line. I did that. On, on Facebook. I know that yeah. works. Yeah, yeah. And um, we have the odd big event, like last week, Friday, we did 2,000 sandwiches packed into lunchboxes for World Food Day. It's a very big day on the United Nations calendar. So we do the odd big event that we announce and where we are very, very happy to entertain volunteers. And we go out and we have special beneficiaries that we spoil for that day. And um, other than that, we have very regular feeding programs in mostly rural areas, KZN and the Eastern Cape. Uh, we have around 400 ECD centers on our program. And oh. look, we always need food products. If somebody is donating staple, non-perishable or long shelf life food products, my, my chicken soup was an absolute exception. I don't really want to do that again. <laughs> <laughs> sure, that's Quite a some work. admin and logistics around yeah. fresh products. Yeah. And uh, look, Obviously, monetary donations, always great, wonderful. We had distribution costs this year skyrocket because what we did when the schools closed, we were trying to find our children at their homes. Oh, so we had a restructure wow. and uh, we had a big campaign, fill the school meal gap campaign, and we were trying to find the children at their homes. Yeah, that was a big problem throughout the lockdown. Is Huge that the kids, problem. Schools Huge were closed, problem. so the kids are at home Massive not getting problem. meals. We had yeah. 10 million children in this country depending on school meals that we're not receiving. Oh, you know, and, and that with parents at home out of their jobs, 
that with people running out of food very quickly. So call it the end of April, we had people very, very desperate in our communities, not knowing where to get the next meal from. It's very, very hard. And then also there's a very interesting study coming out of an NGO in Peter Meritzburg, how the food prices hiked in the hard lockdown. Yes. An absolute disgrace mm. uh, if you look at that list. And, and that's a basic basket. So this is the non-vetted items yeah. for poor people. How those yeah. – no, very, very unacceptable. So uh, that those times are very, very tough. And to not have the school meals – in the same time, the National School Nutrition Program, I know they always said, no, no, but but they can come and collect their meals. How are they going to get there? I'm not there? sure how it worked in Gauteng, yeah. but uh, I didn't see much of it or hear much of it yeah. here in KZN, I have to say. I don't think, I don't, look, I, I can't really speak from, from any real knowledge, but I can't imagine it was too much different. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so so people and and volunteers and and um, from that point of view, people getting involved only on the special days. Uh, look, it's quite a thing to send volunteers out into the communities where we work, and I have to say, and that is why I mentioned the 1999 and things being slightly different now. And I I dare to put it down to our unemployment rates. We have far too many people on the streets at the moment, and our communities are far more hostile than they used to be. Oh, wow. So uh, sure. I would never have international volunteers any longer go out for me and visit our projects. I just wouldn't want the responsibility anymore. Yeah. Can't. That's sad. Wow. Okay. You know, it's just, it's just a, something to work with. Something to work with, you know, and something that's a reality. We never, we used to go out in mid-morning, 10, 11. There were never many people on the streets if you would go through certain uh, locations. And now you have streets packed with people because they are simply not at work. Wow. That's where you see your 47 or 50 or I don't know where we are now, percent of people not climbing into taxis in the morning, getting to a job. And they're desperate. Sure. So you see this stuff firsthand. Wow. Yes. So, so back, to that, back to that question right at the beginning, when you were talking about that case, that maintenance case, and getting emotionally involved. Yes. How do you not get emotionally involved when, when you see this? When, when the, the, and very, very little help from outside of where you are and your influence. How do you deal with that? I think that everybody who is involved in anything humanitarian or in any NPO work finds their own journey and finds their own area where they can cope. So in 2006-07, I did a very nice mother and child health clinic with a couple of very, very wonderful ladies here in a community outside Durban. And we had a lot of problems and a couple of dead babies. And I and I always said, if the drive home to my family is not enough for me to actually shake things off and sit at the dinner table and look after my family, I can't do the work I did that day. And I have to find something else where I can be purposeful and do something and, and make a change. So I sadly left that. I couldn't do that. I also couldn't do what the wonderful baby bear people are doing with abused children. So I think we all know where our limits are and what we can cope with. And thank God we are all structured differently. And uh, I would hope that all these people who do that very challenging work can shake it off by the time they, they get, get home. home. Otherwise, it's damaging. It leaves damage. It's very dam It must be very damaging. So I think, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very happy to put my energy where I can make a change and achieve something. But I also know my limits and I also know I'm best where I am at the moment. I really enjoy it. I have never been out as much as this year because we sometimes didn't have a driver. Then I climb in the bucky and I drive out. So 
this was my big year of community outreach and being on the ground myself. I see myself back behind a desk far more next year because we have to catch up a lot of a lot of work, lot of work. like admin work. Yeah. But you know, that's that's how this work is, and it's it's great that way. Yeah. And I. I really enjoy what I do now. I think I found my place with this. So if you look at the thousand very important days in a child's life, um, the first ones I'm now skipping, leaving to others, um, and I'm addressing the ones, call it from six months at the Early Childhood Development Center. Yeah. And the, the mother and child baby clinics can be very intense. It can be very difficult because babies die. You know, it's, it's, it's tough. Yeah. So my own experience with that, nothing like yours at all, but bring a brain cancer survivor, the second time I went into remission, I did some work at an oncology pediatric ward. And I, I struggled hugely with my own sense of survivor guilt, that uh, an extremely rare form of cancer that I'd survived. And I was already 47. And here are these tiny little kids who've got cancer. And the guilt was huge. So in the first year, um, then cancer came back and it, it was different. But I think, I think it changes for us as we go along, depending on what we, uh, how we deal with our own stuff, which enables us to deal with other people's stuff. But it kind of came back to a, all right, I've got, uh, this is how I feel. But because of that, it makes me more uh, motivated to get involved with children who have cancer. So that's, that's my own thing. But it's still um, every single time and, and going to clinic and sitting on the drip with the chemotherapy drugs and having a look at these little kids, that are, you know, and I find it very, very tough. So I don't know, and I, I don't think I would be able to do what you do. So huge respect for you. And, and to say that you found your niche and found your, this is, this is your thing, that, that is magnificent. It really is. Thank you very much. Look, it's, um, it's in a way also work like any other. Mm. It's development work. I like that about it. I see things progressing. Um, I'm, you know, we, we adopted 4,000 children in Bizana and the Eastern Cape into our program oh, with Pandas A and S. As two, yeah, but, but also I love that. I love a big number. You know, you must throw a big number at me because sure. I can't believe that something like child stunting rates are sitting at a certain number and they don't move. They must move. At some stage, you must make a dent on these numbers. So must throw a big number at me. I think you must throw a big number at me. We're making progress there. Wow. That is just remarkable. Remarkable. Sure. Um, okay, so a couple of questions I want to ask before we yes. close off. Um, shoot ahead. Uh, and, and shoot ahead. Um, so there are a couple of things. Number one, and this isn't a, a question, it's more an acknowledgement to you, is when I chatted to you on the phone to say, listen, hey, would you be keen? The first thing you said to me is, I'm, I'm not a spotlight kind of person. I don't like to be in the spotlight. I'm kind of, um, and, and I get that. You're just so focused on your thing and what you're doing. And I think that's something I admire most about people like you who get on and do the real work and don't need to be seen for it and don't need to be acknowledged for it and don't need to be hey everybody i did this amazing good thing and there's a lot of that out there social media especially over this time has been people saying hey look what i did look what i did and that is a bit of a challenge sometimes because we only get funding if we can prove what we did and we only get people to support us and follow us um but there's a line somewhere i think there's a good line somewhere but um just want to acknowledge how how amazing i think that you are in that you know i'm, I'm going to sidestep the spotlight because i'm just going to get on and do what i do and that that really is remarkable oh thank you very much richard thank you and then some, some questions so one day when you're no longer around to speak for yourself what do you think that you would most like to be celebrated for? That your life meant something? Do you think you've reached that place or, or, or what is still to come? I don't know if I reached that place yet. So um, if you'd ask me, I would love this organization or this work to continue, definitely. So I'm building it with a team that hopefully continues this work. 
there is still, as I said, there is so much need here and so much to be done. That ECD sector is in no man's land. And uh, I would love there to be a huge knock-on effect with these ladies actually training others okay. and really passing that baton on and, and moving knowledge around, you know, for everything that we do at the moment, for the literacy, for the, for the food gardens now, so important, for the water saving, all of that. And I also, um, look, I have a, my oldest is 26 now. I know that um, he is very much in my, in my track. <laughs> but my teenage children as well, they're an interesting, gener more interesting generation because they are now 13 and 15. I, I also wish that they take that in. You know, I'm quite old fashioned in other senses. So I'm 51 now. Still not so, don't need the newest technology all the time. Don't give me a new phone or a new motor car. It's more a challenge for me than a, than a present. And I think um, for them, you know, to know that there's still a lot of work that needs to be done where you actually have to get out and connect with people and be present, 100% present, you know. That's and, a great lesson. And they, it is. And it can't be done without it. So, yes, robotics, all great. But soft skills, being able to speak to people, being able to connect and actually make a mark on people, so important. And I hope they will continue that. So I think if COVID has shown us anything is how important that thing is. The technology and us being able to do this over a you know, virtual platform is amazing. But I think what we missed for many of us is the human interaction. and the, oh, so it, 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 is, it is really using technology to help you to get to where you want to get to, but through the human connection. So yeah, those yeah. are great lessons. And I can't imagine your kids wouldn't have picked that up from you. And, and, then, and then lastly, if you had to give some advice to somebody who may be floundering a little bit in their own path to purpose, if they're, they're feeling a little bit purposeless, um, yours has been a very, very interesting journey in terms of where you started and, and where you are now. And everything I would imagine from a legal aspect to the environmental law to all the things that you've done have brought you to this point and they've skilled you and equipped you to, to do what you do now. Um, but it certainly didn't start there. You, you didn't at, at any point in your life think this is where I want to land up. What would your advice be? Well, it's very interesting that you didn't ask me if I think uh, there's a good maritime lawyer loss in me because I don't. So my entire journey was actually, I think, just equipping me with what I need to do what I do now. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm not really lost in what I studied. I, I so, think so that was, that was never even a thought for me. It's <laughs> <laughs> a normal question that's that is, put to me. It's like, is, don't, no, you, know, don't a, you want to study? No. And don't you want to practice maritime law? One day? No. No, not at all. Um, okay. I, I really think that purpose question is very, very tricky. I truly think that we all have obviously our own talents and I mm. find it very hard to be good at something that we are not at least interested in, mm. preferably passionate about. For my own children, I always try to encourage them to be passionate about something. It's great if you get a university degree behind it, but mm. also if you can't. There are so many people who have great careers because they're passionate about something and they don't go study and they don't go to university. Mm. You know, so the purpose must also not be to be a change maker and do life-changing things for other people. I think you can just quietly do your thing and you will have an impact even if you... The small things that done regularly yeah. Yeah, become big things. Absolutely. You know, it, it all doesn't have to be so dramatic and so obvious. It, um, I would just not like to go quietly. Um, I would love to have some form of impact because um, the way things are going at the moment is quite scary. Mm. 
you know, I if you think about our lifetime and the things we took for very granted, swimming in in lakes and drinking the water out of the lake, things that I wouldn't really recommend my children in Germany anymore either. Yeah. You know, we used to just swim everywhere. We used to drink the water, no problem. And a lot of things like that, where we went skiing, where, where there would always be snow and now it's, mm, and this is one generation, you know? Mm. So there's a lot of things that I, that I would worry about. And so I think we all must have the purpose of conserving things for a lot of other generations to come. There's a lot of stuff there that is so worth conserving. Yeah. So people must really find their own love and passion yeah. for things and they will automatically be good at it and make an impact. That's a great answer and thank you very much. I think, I think to a large extent, we, when things come easily to us and we don't realize that to others they don't, and other people struggle in the way that we struggle with things that we wish we were better self-disciplined at or we were a little bit more focused on or we actually did the hard work. But why, well, how come they can? But, but we've all got that stuff that comes easily and I think it's to recognize what that is. That's the starting point. Yes, absolutely. And we all envy so many others, exactly. you know, and they think we're doing this cool thing, but it's actually so natural for us. So I think that you're doing a very cool thing. It does look like it's natural for you, although it's a lot of hard work. Huge admiration for you and what you do, where you started, what you've created, and what I know that you will leave behind. Huge, huge impact, and the world is better for you. So thank you so much for your time. I want you to know from my side at any time, if you're looking for a, a speaker or an MC or just some great energy, I'm yours for free anytime. Oh, Richard, thank you so much. With absolute pleasure. I'd love to be involved. And uh, to the listeners and uh, everybody watching, please get involved, please support, and, and let's make this time worthwhile. But thank you. I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much, Richard. I love being here on your show. Thank you. Cheers. Bye. Thank you for staying right to the end of the episode and for joining me on the Enrichment Project. Before you go, please share this episode with your friends and your colleagues. They will thank you, I'm sure. Remember that you can catch each Path to Purpose episode by watching on YouTube or if you prefer, on your favorite podcast app. The link to my book, The Power of Purpose, is in the show notes. Please go and check it out. It's a rad account of my own story of purpose and resilience and my fight against brain cancer. I finished six full Ironman events, a number of multi-stage mountain bike races, nine Ironman 70.3 races, including the Ironman World Championships and a bunch of other endurance events, all with stage four brain cancer because I wanted it that badly and getting to the finish line meant that much to me. As a professional inspirational speaker, business and life coach, author and storyteller, I'd love to add more value to you or your organization. Please find more details on my website, IamRichardWright.com and book me today for a live or virtual keynote, a masterclass, workshop or coaching session or please follow my journey on Facebook, I am Richard Wright, Twitter, The Right Rich, Instagram, I am Richard Wright, or on LinkedIn. I'd love the opportunity to enrich your team. Thank you to the professional crew at Solid Gold Podcasts for the support, the talent, and the mad skills. And to Anna Hick for her creativity and genius video magic. Thank you. You all rock. Oh,